do have countless numbers of blessings, and one of which is just to be together as God's children this morning, to uh, think about all that he's done for us, is doing for us, and to look into his word for a while together. We're thankful that you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad that you could be among us today to honor the God of heaven, and as we said, to think about all that he's done for us and his will for us. This year at Eastside, we're focused on being a house of prayer in the name of the Lord and honoring him among all the nations by relying on him in prayer as we're instructed to do in Scripture and as we're privileged to do as his children. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spent a section in Matthew chapter 6 teaching his disciples about prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, he tells them to begin. And then to ask several things of the Father in this model prayer. And in Matthew 6 and verse 13, he says, pray to the Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So in the model prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for deliverance. We are to pray to the Father to deliver us from evil. Or depending on your translation, it might say the evil one. One of the things that you see as you study through the Bible is that God is a great deliverer. He is known as the deliverer. And through the Old Testament particularly, we see him by a mighty hand delivering his people over and over and over again. We see him delivering Isaac from the ram, with a ram rather, from being sacrificed. We see him uh, delivering the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. We see him delivering David from the evil intentions of King Saul. We see, see him delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace and Daniel from a lion's den. Uh, and these in many other ways. We see him delivering his people from Babylonian captivity and restoring them to the land. Over and over again, God is, is a deliverer. He delivers Israel time and time again from uh, forces that would have overcome them and from armies that would have overrun them. The Lord is always there for Israel and he's always there for us. He is prepared to deliver, to deliver us from anything that might harm us, from any danger that might ensnare us, and from anything that we're overwhelmed with. He's prepared to deliver the poor and the weak and the righteous who are in need and the penitent sinner from their sins. Some of the most powerful, powerful prayers we find in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, are prayers for deliverance. In Psalm 34 and verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. What a great statement. To be a house of prayer, surely we ought to be a people who are crying for deliverance. It's one thing to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's another thing to pray, deliver us from the evil one. So we are thankful for our daily bread and thankful for so many blessings that God bestows upon us. 
But when push comes to shove in our lives, when we're experiencing that thing that ensnares us or entraps us or binds us or oppresses us or harms us or leads us into danger, those are the times when God especially wants us to call out to Him. To call out to Him. Deliverance is liberation. It is rescue from evil, from oppression, from bondage, and from danger. And God, God performs deliverance in a lot of different ways. So He might, in one case, remove the thing that endangers you. In another case, He might remove you from that thing. Sometimes, sometimes God gives you strength to deal with it. He doesn't remove, remove you or it. He just gives you the strength to handle it and delivers you in that way. Sometimes He allows the thing that you're praying for deliverance from, sometimes He might even allow that thing to overcome you. You say, well, how is that deliverance? <laughs> because it is when a person is totally swallowed up and defeated and may I say, as we'll get to at the end of the lesson, dead, that God works His greatest deliverance in bringing victory out of defeat, out of defeat and in giving life to those who are dead. So God can deliver in many, many ways. And He does that. It is not our place to choose the way that God will deliver us. We may pray for the way that God will deliver us, but he will deliver us in His own way. And in a way that is not just best to Him, but best for us. I want to think with you this morning about the deliverance that God provides those who pray for it in three different areas of life. First of all, think about praying for deliverance from temptations and trials. As we noted already in Matthew 6 and verse 13, this is what Jesus has instructed us to pray for. To pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or as I said, from the evil one. And either one of those translations is correct. The word one is not there in the original, but it is understood, it could be understood in the way, uh, the grammar of the New Testament. So it could be deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. In either case, it's really kind of saying the same thing, right? Because it is the evil one, it is Satan, who is inflicting evil upon us. Whether you're talking about temptation to sin, or trials and afflictions that you go through. Somebody says, well, what kind of evil is being talked about here in Matthew 6 and verse 13? What are we to pray to be delivered from? Both. Both. Both the temptation to sin and the those kinds of trials that we go through, spiritual trials, but also physical trials and afflictions and hardship and oppression and pain and suffering that we go through. Well, you say, Steve, well, the word says temptation, right? But the word for temptation in the original language is also equally translated trial or trials. In fact, it's translated that many places in the New Testament. I use 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 as an example where Peter talks about the fiery trial which is to try you. And he's talking about hard times and suffering and persecution and affliction. So 
That, that one word in Greek encompasses both temptations to sin and trials of affliction, suffering, and difficulty in life. So the evil could be some tragic occurrence in our lives, some moral trial that we're going through also could be that evil that we're praying for deliverance from. These things are all generated by Satan, who is the evil one. The reality is that the evil day will come in everyone's life. In fact, many evil days will come in our lives. Where the evil one is trying to get at us, either with a tragedy that has occurred, loss of a loved one, loss of health, pain in our lives, some kind of affliction, some kind of persecution, or this overwhelming temptation to sin it seems to us that is just so strong and powerful and we're trying to resist it and we're, we're having such difficulty with that maybe it's that that we're but the evil day many evil days will come i'd like you to turn in your bibles now to ephesians chapter 6 we're going to notice several things in this passage starting in verse 10 paul says finally brethren be strong in the lord and the power of his might Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice that that you may be able to stand in the evil day. For as we've already said, the evil day will surely come. And when the evil day comes, when the evil one is attacking you, with whatever it might be, it is God alone who can deliver you. And it is His strength and His might that will help you. And this is why we cry for deliverance. This is why Jesus told us to pray to be delivered from temptation. If you look at verse 10 again, be strong in the strength of the Lord. If, if hell is out to get you, the strength of man won't do. You are going to need the strength of heaven itself to combat, combat the strength of the devil. We are, we are not fighting. The battle, folks, we think that the problems in our lives are generated by people. The problems in our lives are not really people. Sometimes, often, Satan might use people to try us, to tempt us, to make things difficult for us. But they're just the conduits. They're just the, you know, the tubing that brings us the evil temptation from Satan himself. Satan is behind all of that. It's the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the power that we're wrestling with. That's the, that's the real power we're wrestling with. And we cannot overcome that kind of evil on our own. It takes the power of heaven. 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul says it very plainly. It's not people. People aren't the problem. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. We're wrestling with demonic forces in the spiritual realm. Deliverance will come according to God's Word. As you go on down in this passage, notice with me verses 17 and 18. You have the whole armor of God there. And uh, we need to take every piece of it. When Paul winds this up, of course, in verses 17 and 18, we've looked at 18 a couple of times this year already in talking about prayer, but I want to look at verse 17 now in this context. He says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. At the end of this text where Paul is warning us about the spiritual power that we're, we're confronted with and, and, and the overwhelming almost power that we're dealing with when we're tempted and when the evil day comes. And then he tells us God can help us win the victory. But he ends it all by saying, take the sword of the Spirit and then pray in the Spirit. And I think those two things are connected taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying in the Spirit, which would be according to the Word that the Spirit has given us. Right? There's the power in the prayer. We've talked about this several times. This year, we're reading in our readings through Scripture, and we're encouraged to pray what we've read, right? Pray about what it is that we've read. because That's praying in the Spirit. That's praying God's Word where God has given us a promise, or God has given us a duty, or God has given us a a blessing, or whatever it might be. And we pray about that. That's praying in the Spirit. And when God has promised us deliverance over something, and we pray that prayer, or God has told us how to get victory over something, we pray that prayer. That's praying in the Spirit. God's deliverance is effective. In just that way. The psalmist knew about that. If you go back to the Psalms in Psalm 119 and verse 170, he says, Let my supplication come before you, deliver me according to your word. There's a prayer right there for deliverance. Let my supplication come before you, the prayer for deliverance, deliver me according to your word. So let's pray the word. Let's pray the word as we pray for deliverance. Let's understand that when we're doing this, We're tapping into the power of God Almighty. And He might deliver us, as we've already said, in ways that we do not expect and are in ways that are far more than we might imagine deliverance would come. People of Israel... We're going through a really hard time when Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen. And Elijah prayed a prayer that God might help his people. And it wound up not raining for over three years. You never know what's going to happen when you pray a prayer for deliverance. It might get a whole lot worse before it gets a whole lot better. 
Or you might have to go through something that you never imagined you'd have to go through to get deliverance. If you go with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, we have a, a great lesson about how God delivers and how He knows how to deliver. And we need to let Him do that and just have faith that He will. But 2 Peter 2 and verse 7 says that the Lord delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. God delivered Lot from Sodom. How did he do that? The implication seems to be that Lot hated, you know, the kind of wickedness that he was having to live uh, among. And he prayed for deliverance from that. He wanted deliverance from that. He vexed his righteous soul day by day, concerned about all this evil that surrounded him. And I mean, deliverance came, right? (laughs) Raining fire from heaven on the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot losing his sons-in-law, his wife, his entire home, everything that he'd known there, wind up living in a cave with his two daughters. That's what deliverance looked like for Lot. But he was sure enough delivered from the evil of Sodom, wasn't he? That was no more. God knows how to deliver. What's the point of this in the context of 2 Peter? What's the point of Peter telling us this? Verse 9, look at it. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. That same word that Jesus used, the godly out of temptation, to pray, To be delivered from temptation. This is the power of a prayer of deliverance. Let's pray those prayers. Let God do the work. He knows how to deliver us. We need to be praying for our deliverance from bondage to sin. And there are times when Christians get in bondage to sin, and there are probably those in this room today who are in bondage to sin one kind or another. And instead of fiddling with it and being sorry about it but not doing anything about it and changing your mind about it and then changing your mind back, I might suggest to you that we pray for deliverance from the sin. Simon the sorcerer, well-known story in Acts chapter 8, he heard the preaching of Philip saw the miracles that were done, was baptized for the remission of his sins. But then when he saw that Peter and John had this amazing power, not only to work miracles, but to give others that power, he tried to buy that ability with money. Peter told Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 and verse 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before the Lord, in the sight of God rather. 
Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon the sorcerer was in bondage to sin. He was bound by, and whatever the sin might be in your life or mine, that we are bound by. Something that comes out of our heart like it did with Simon. Something that sometimes shows itself in our behavior or speech like it did with Simon. But we are bound by that evil. What's what's the inspired apostle's direction to Simon the sorcerer? We'll just try a little harder, you know. (laughs) No. Your heart's not right. You're bound by this sin. Pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart will be forgiven you. Pray for deliverance from your transgressions, not in your transgressions. We need to be praying for deliverance from sin, not just forgiveness of sin. You see the difference? Yes, pray for forgiveness of sin, but pray for deliverance from sin. That's the prayer. That's the prayer we need. Psalm 39 and verse 7. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me a reproach of the foolish. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Don't just forgive me. But rescue me from these things. Psalm 40 and verse 12. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Here's somebody, the psalmist, so overwhelmed by sin. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. So it could be that we're not just overwhelmed and burdened and in bondage to one sin, but all sorts of sins. And yes, we need forgiveness, and, but, but we need deliverance. We need freedom. That's what deliverance is. It's freedom and it's rescue. It's liberation. We want to be liberated from these things. And those, that's the power that God has. And He has it in the life of a Christian. I believe that, that Paul was still thinking about, potentially, his life as a Christian. When in Romans chapter 7, talking about the power of sin in his life and the power of the law to produce sin, he says, I see another law, Romans 7.23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So Paul sees himself being bound by sin. In, in captivity to sin. But verse 24, he, he cries out in this, this prayer. You just feel the, the passion of it, the emotion of it. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? There's the word. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? And of course, the question answers itself, doesn't it? We'll go on in chapter 8 to say that in Christ, There is therefore now no condemnation. It is Christ that we find deliverance. 
It is in Christ that we find a way out of the bondage of sin. As I said, we may have right here this morning, where are you? Are you bound by sin? A sin, many sins. Change your mind about them. Repent. Confess them to God, to yourself, to others who need to hear it. Pray for forgiveness. But pray for deliverance. That you can escape the bondage of this sin. We can pray for deliverance from affliction and oppression and death. In the scriptures, God delivered from all of these kinds of things, and it's not unusual for him in a Bible text to deliver someone from physical death. In fact, in the book of Job, Job says something interesting about this, makes a really interesting observation to me, at least it is, talking about what God does as he works in men's lives, allows things to happen, uh, sometimes allows Satan to do evil things to people, like he did with Job. Yet, he delivered Job, didn't he? Out of, out of just a, a horrible pit of tragedy, losing his, his wealth, losing his family, losing his health, losing everything. But Job says, Job 33 and verse 28, that God would redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all of these things twice, in fact, three times with a man. What Job is saying is what I've observed also in life is that nobody lives you know, without having at least a brush with death, right? Eventually we all die. But many of us have had multiple brushes with death. Sometimes there are some in this room who've literally been at death's door and not expected to live, but did. So God allows these things to occur and brings us, so to speak, back from the pit. That represents the grave, I think, in this text. And by doing that, we're learning great lessons of faith, trusting in Him, knowing that He is with us no matter what. Job recognizes all of that. God is working when He does that. And so the psalmist said in Psalm 30, 91 and verse 3, that He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Well, those of us who are alive today, we just, all of us, in the last three years, got delivered from a deadly pestilence. Right? How many of us have had COVID or COVID vaccinations so many times that we can't count or whatever or lost loved ones to it? And God's delivered everybody in this room from a deadly pestilence. God did that. Did he not? All healing comes from God. He heals all your diseases, the psalmist says. Talk about count your many blessings. God delivers. Who gets the credit? God does. The psalmist sees that. We should see that as well. Back in Psalm 6 and verse 2, he prays, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak, O Lord. Heal me. My bones are troubled. 
My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? In other words, I'm pleading with you. I'm asking for deliverance. How long do I need to wait? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave. Who will give you thanks? What he's saying there is, look, while I'm living, I'm praising you and I'm serving you and I'm living for you. When I'm dead, I can't do that anymore. So give me life so I can serve you and live for you more. That's a great prayer. Christians, we understand that God delivers from death. But we also understand that death is inevitable. That one day, physical death will come and God will not deliver you from it. Because it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. When Paul was in prison, he writes to the Philippians, of course. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 16. He talks about brethren who were preaching Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Okay, so Paul's already in prison in chains. He's already got plenty of affliction. And he's got brothers in Christ who are out here Preaching, not to, not to bring people to Christ, but hoping to stir up problems for Paul while he's in prison. Oh, the brotherly love, you know, right? So Paul's in prison and he's suffering this affliction upon affliction and then more affliction that his brothers in Christ are trying to stir up for him, I guess out of jealousy or something. You know how Paul sees that? Look at what he says in verse 19. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. (laughs) About that, that, those guys preaching, he says, either way, the gospel's preached, that's okay. And and he says, all of this, this, this whole ball of affliction, all of this, I know, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to what my earnest expectation and hope is, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, now also Christ will be magnified in my body. I'm going to stop right there reading. Hold on. You see what he's saying? I'm going to be delivered from all of this. No problem. The gospel is being preached. I'm going to preach it. I am preaching it. And I'm going to magnify Christ in my body. And then the rest of the sentence. By life or by death. You see, when you view death as itself a deliverance, you can't can't lose. You cannot lose. You cannot not be delivered. Paul sees what he was going through, the difficulties of it, as just an opportunity to let Christ shine through him and share the gospel. And apparently he did have an opportunity to share the gospel probably twice with the Caesar on the throne and with his whole court. And there were some in the palace guard who were believers who came to Christ because of Paul's testimony. Paul's eating that up. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's no losing. 
There's always deliverance. I think it may be later on. I'm not sure if it's the same imprisonment or not. I think it's a later one. When Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says very much the same thing. Listen to his words, 2 Timothy 4, verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully preached through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And besides all that, I got to preach the gospel. Besides all that, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Notice evil there, that word evil, that evil day, the evil one, the evil that is coming that we're to be praying for deliverance from. I will be delivered from every evil work and he will preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul saying? I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I'm going to be delivered from every evil work because I'm going to heaven. I'll be preserved in the eternal kingdom. He appreciates, he's thankful for his previous deliverance from death from being thrown to the lions. He writes to the Corinthians in a similar vein in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. He says, We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. I'm trusting in God. My deliverance is of God. How does God want to deliver me? Does He want the thing to go away? Does He want me to go through the thing in strength and come out stronger on the other side? Does He want the thing to overwhelm me and then bring me back from it? Does He want the thing to kill me and then resurrect me to eternal glory? How does God want to deliver me? It doesn't matter. He's going to deliver me. God is a deliverer. And He will deliver you and me if we'll trust Him. All we need to do is trust Him to be our deliverer. Jesus came to earth to deliver us at last. And one day, one day, the doors of the prison of this life, the surly bonds of earth, are going to break wide open and we'll have the opportunity to walk into heaven itself. Because God is a deliverer. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. The Thessalonians have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Revelation 20 depicts the judgment scene where there's a lake of fire, which is the second death. We're delivered from that. We have to go through the first death, but we don't have to go through the second one. All because of what Jesus has done. Shedding His blood, giving His life for the atonement for our sins so that we would have the opportunity to be free at last. The Lord is our faithful deliverer. David said of God, 2 Samuel 22 and verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He says in Psalm 40 and verse 17, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, do not delay, O oh God. 
It is God who is our rock, our deliverer, the one who is our rescuer, our liberator. From every evil, I say from every evil, God can deliver you this morning. We'll sing a song in a moment. I want you to think about these words. The words of the song. He's able to deliver you. No matter who you are, no matter what's got, what, what, what's got you, God is able to deliver. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. Tis the grandest theme. Let the tidings roll to the guilty heart, to the sinful soul. Look to God in faith. He will make you whole. Our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to Him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. He's able to deliver you right now from the bondage of whatever's holding you. Let Him be your deliverer. And if this morning you've never named the name of Jesus, you're still bound in sin, He can set you free. You're still bound by the fear of death. He can deliver you from that. If you will name His name, name Him as Christ, the Son of God and Lord of your life, and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, you can be delivered right here, right now. Please come while we stand and while we sing.